You are listening to Historically, a show where we decolonize history and debunk myths and misinformation taught to you in school and on corporate media. I'm your host, Esha. Today, we have director Max Good here to talk to us about Ruth Payne and the JFK assassination. Welcome to the show, Max. How are you feeling? Thanks. Thanks for having me. I'm doing pretty well. It's a cold morning in California, but that that only means that it's uh, 40 degrees. Okay. It's very cold in Russia. (laughs) It's um, how many degrees Celsius is it right now? It is, um, oh my God. Okay. It is negative seven degrees. Yeah. Well, I don't know what, I don't know what 40 degrees is in, in Celsius. Oh, uh, it's about, um, maybe 10 degrees. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> so you studied film in university? Yeah. I went uh, back to grad school, uh, when I was 35 to get a MFA degree in documentary film. And, um, this film I made actually started in that program uh, as my thesis film, and that was eight years ago now, something like that. How come it is only being released now? Well, I in the beginning, I made a short film. It was 20 minutes long, and then over the next few years, I kept working on it to make it into a, a feature-length documentary. So it is now 100 minutes and I did a, a, a bunch more interviews, and the editing took forever. And I was never able to raise much money for this film. There, I approached a lot of uh, companies, and nobody was was willing to to put up funding. I, the, the only funding I got really was a crowdfunding campaign on Kickstarter back in 2017. I was was unable to get any real institutional funding for this movie, and I was I was surprised on one hand, but on the other, I know this is a controversial topic, and uh, a lot of people don't want to touch it, and they, you know, being painted with a conspiracy theory brush is is like the kiss of death nowadays. So, um, yeah, I, I had to pretty much make this movie on my own with uh, with some help some colleagues but it's it's finally out and uh people are seeing it and enjoying it okay um we have actually in the past uh we have had two episodes about who really killed jfk and one of my favorite michael parenti lectures is the one where he talks about the gangster nature of our state where he mentions a lot of strange things around lee harvey oswald the man that i guess people say officially killed jfk and then there is of course a lot of information that is public record confirmed by the like all the intelligence agencies but it doesn't fit the official narrative so let's talk about the the woman you interview in this film um her name is ruth payne so who is she ruth payne is a sort of overlooked character in the JFK assassination story. She was friends with Marina Oswald and Lee Harvey Oswald in the nine months leading up to the assassination. And Marina Oswald actually moved in with Ruth Payne a couple months before the assassination. And Lee Harvey Oswald would spend weekends there. And a lot of their belongings were stored 
in Ruth Payne's garage. And so Ruth got to know them well. And her husband, who she was separated from, also spent some time with Oswald. And Ruth just has these strange connections to the whole assassination case. And she was actually kind of instrumental in finding some key evidence that was used against Oswald. And she played a key role in getting him the job at the book depository. So there are a lot of suspicions around Ruth Payne. Uh, Okay, so for people who are not very familiar, is the book depository the place in which, I guess, he had the lookout spot? Yeah, the, the Texas School Book Depository is the building that Oswald supposedly killed the president from. That's the official story, that Oswald was on the sixth floor of the book depository and he fired three shots and that's uh how jfk was killed um of course that's a very controversial conclusion and is the official warren commission report still the single bullet theory yeah so the warren commission put together their report and they were the ones who came up with the the single bullet theory or the magic bullet theory whichever you want to call it and you know that was because the timing that was established with the Zapruder film and how many frames per second were on the Zapruder film and when JFK was hit and how fast it took to fire this rifle that Oswald supposedly used, they they could only have three bullets. And so one of those bullets had to make seven injuries in two people and weave, weave a very... <laughs> hard to believe path uh through through those two people that's it you know went through jfk and then also hit the texas governor john Connolly, and made several injuries in his body as well supposedly that's that's the story the, the warren commission came up with and a lot of people have never <laughs> believed that even uh john Connolly never never believed that on people on the warren commission never believed it but that's that's what they they had to do to say that there wasn't somebody shooting uh, another person shooting which would obviously be a conspiracy okay so marina oswald ironically i just looked her up today and um, she was actually born in severdanetsk which is where the war has been going on and then she moved to minsk so she met lee harvey oswald when he was in belarus and then they got married. So how did Ruth Payne become acquainted with Marina Oswald? So after Oswald came back to the U.S., he he defected from the U.S. and, you know, said he was going to turn over secrets. Quote, unquote, defected. Yes. yes. So, uh, you know, many people believe that it's it's basically been historically proven that he was a fake defector sent there for some other purposes as a as a spy or some sort of uh dangle to trick you know trick the russians or something like that so yeah after after oswald somehow is allowed to come back to the u.s with and they they help expedite his passport and pay for his (laughs) trip to come home he with with his his new russian wife marina they eventually moved to Dallas and he 
becomes friends with a crowd of oil men and white Russians. These are sort of, you know, conservative. They're like the KKK of Russia. Um, yeah, maybe and- you can explain more to me because I, I don't know that much about this this term white Russian besides they were, so they supported the czar and they were. Okay, so um, think of it. Okay, so you know, right after the U.S. Civil War, people who were former slave owners didn't really ride off into the sunset and be like, okay, no more slavery. Let's ha- let's all live together. They yeah. formed the KKK and they ended up like having terror against a lot of formerly freed slaves. Well, this is the same thing that happened um, during the Russian Civil War. People who were, the, the czar had like one of the biggest police forces, like millions of people, because slavery is not very easily sustainable. And in order to have a feudal system, you kind of need to have that. So these um, czarist police forces, mercenaries, death squad members, whatever, they were funded by British, French, Americans, Germans to kind of wage a war against the Bolsheviks. So the whites are basically more or less kind of like the Russian version of the KKK. And the Reds are obviously the Bolsheviks. So white Russians are people who were involved in the czarist police service, who then later, like they had to run away from Russia for obvious reasons. And a lot of them settled in Germany, Italy, and and the U.S. And I guess those are the white Russians that Lee Harvey Oswald knew, right? Yeah, he he became friends with with one of these white Russians named George de Morinschild. And he's a very important uh, character to know about in this story. He was a, uh, the CIA admitted that he was at least an unpaid informant for them. And there were also, you know, allegations that he might have been a a Nazi sympathizer. And he definitely was. (laughs) Yeah. So it's, it's a strange, it's a strange development that Oswald, who's supposedly this poor young communist, defector comes back and become and he becomes friends with this sort of high class <laughs> extreme right wing white russian guy and who has cia connections uh <laughs> so yeah a lot of a lot of people think that this this oswald was not a real communist he was sent to russia on some sort of operation he came back and then he was continuing to do infiltration work among radical leftists um, in the U.S. You know, he he formed his own Fair Play for Cuba committee. He was the only member, uh, and he was filmed handing out leaflets. He did interviews on radio and TV, you know, supporting the socialist cause. And a lot of people think that the, that was all an act, that he was he was just involved in some sort of operation infiltrating the left. That makes a lot of sense. Um, I'm not too familiar with the Fair Play for Cuba. Is this the organization in Florida or Louisiana? This was in Louisiana, New Orleans. Yeah. Okay. So he was the only member of the organization? At least his the chapter he opened. It was it was a national organization, but he opened a chapter and he was the only member of that local chapter. Cuba was a, a huge issue at this point in, in the Cold War, you know, after Castro's revolution. And it was, you know, seen as as a big threat and kind of a hot point in the Cold War, as as you 
we saw with the um, Bay of Pigs invasion and the, the Cuban Missile Crisis. Okay, so did the assassination of JFK happen after the Cuban Missile Crisis? Yes. So the Bay of Pigs invasion was in 1961. I think the the Cuban Missile Crisis was in 62. And then he's assassinated in 63. That makes a lot of sense. um, Because at least in the Oliver Stone film, they think that either Cuban gangsters or Cuban exiles had something to do with the assassination. Yeah, uh, they they tie in the anti-Castro-Cuban movement, which was connected to the CIA. The CIA was working with them on the the Bay of Pigs invasion into the assassination. I, you know, the whole thing is extremely complex. And um, even though I've I've probably read fifteen books on the subject, I'm still not an expert. You know, there are many people who who basically dedicated their life to studying the JFK assassination and the the Cold War history that led up to it and the history that followed. Okay, so um, you mentioned D. Morhenschild. When did he become acquainted with JFK? And I guess he was also a geologist during like an oil prospector or something like that. So what was his role with regards to this whole plan? Well, there is, George Morhenschild did write a book later, and it's, I think it's called I Am a Patsy. <laughs> and uh, supposedly he was friends with the local CIA head in Dallas, a guy named J. Walton Moore. And DeMornschild said that J. Walton Moore told him to sort of uh, befriend Oswald and get involved with Oswald. That's, you know, it's a pretty, <laughs> pretty serious charge. DeMornschild also, he was such an important character that when the, the government was doing a second investigation in the 70s called the House Select Committee on Assassinations, they went to interview DeMorenschild in Florida. And uh, the day that somebody came to his house and, you know, le- left their card and said they wanted to talk to him, he turns up dead, supposedly a suicide with a shotgun. But, uh, of course, people have suspicions that he was murdered. Interesting. So then one thing is, I guess he testified to giving Oswald the gun that they found at the book depository. But then it plays a big role in your movie um, where Marina lives is living with Ruth at this point. Um, and so then can you explain this part? So I think you're you're talking about when the police came over after the assassination. To, to... Yes. OK, so the. Yeah, after the assassination, the police eventually picked up Oswald at a movie theater and took him into custody. And Oswald was living at a rooming house, but he was also staying at the the Payne's house. And so they came to Ruth Payne's house and Ruth and Marina were there and they, they asked if Oswald had a gun. And at this point, from what I understand, Ruth Payne was interpreting for Marina for this this whole exchange mm-hmm. so that adds another dimension of you know possible suspicion so ruth's story the story we understand is that police asked if he had a rifle ruth said no but marina said yes and you know told them that it was in the garage in this blanket on the on the ground and so they they all went into the garage to 
see if the rifle was still there. And uh, in a very dramatic uh, story that, that Ruth has told over the years, the policeman picked up this blanket and it was empty. And at this point, it was like she figured, oh, Oswald must have done it. So, yeah, uh, of course, there are all kinds of complications with with the rifle story and whether Oswald took it to work, whether originally the police reported that it was a different type of rifle that was found at the book depository and uh, whether this crappy old Italian rifle was up to the task of, you know, assassinating somebody from that distance and somebody in a moving car. Those are all questions. And you said that in the movie, she talks a little bit about how the FBI questioned her. Was she ever under suspicion of being involved in the murder? Yeah, this is a great question because I've always thought they would have immediately suspected Ruth if if she was the one housing the rifle and the Oswalds. And she and her husband were sort of seen as kind of leftists from what I understand. But that's that's kind of murky, whether the the Paines were liberals or... <laughs> kind of Cold War liberals who believed that communism was was the big threat to, to freedom and democracy. It seems like, you know, they, they were sort of pro-integration. They were Quaker slash Unitarians, mm-hmm. um, ACLU members. But yeah, it's it's a little it's a little confusing where they were really coming from. And I was always surprised in everything I read, Ruth's, Ruth's Warren Commission testimony, it seemed like the authorities never really suspected her. And that was kind of odd. Maybe it had something to do with the fact that her husband worked for a military contractor and had a security clearance. Maybe they, and they had some people in the establishment to, to vouch for them. There were some interesting people who vouched for their character for the Warren Commission who were they were the Osbournes, uh, Fred and Nancy Osborne, I believe. And they, this guy was the son of somebody who, you know, worked for Radio Free America and was, you know, an associate of Alan Dulles. So, and of course, uh, Michael Payne comes from the Forbes, the famous Forbes family. So, yeah, for some reason, the Paynes were never seriously suspected from, from what I saw. Interesting. And in the Oliver Stone movie, they're kind of ignore, ignored or like they, 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 they amalgamate their character with somebody else's character, right? Yeah. So in Oliver Stone's JFK, they changed the name of the pains. Mm-hmm. From what I understand, that was probably done to avoid legal action or possible lawsuit. But there are, you know, just a few scenes with them. They're they renamed them uh, Bill and Janet Williams, and they they make them look very suspicious. They say, you know, their their tax returns are classified, and Michael Payne had links through his family to the CIA, and obviously they <laughs> they look like shady characters in Oliver Stone's film. Yeah, which is it's a great film. Any anybody I know, a lot of younger people have never seen that film. I I recommend it to everybody. You should watch that, and also. You know, like watch some documentaries, like, like my film, to see, or Oliver Stone's new new documentary series to see 
you know, separate the the fact from the fiction. I mean, in his Oliver Stone's film, he uh, you know, he took dramatic license and created scenes and characters who didn't exist, but you know, a lot of the the main important points are factual in that movie. Yeah, uh, well, when you were interviewing Ruth Payne, she came off very differently than the way the character came off. And in many ways, she seemed a little, I, I guess, she seemed very perplexed about everything. And it, it seems like, she, yeah. And interestingly enough, um, you mentioned that they had 5,000 questions during the Warren Commission. Yeah, so Ruth Payne was the most questioned witness for the Warren Commission out of all the people they talked to, including Marina Oswald and, you know, everybody else, Ruth Payne answered five, over 5,000 questions. So she was a really key witness in establishing, you know, the Warren Commission's story about Oswald, what he was like, where he, where he was at what point. And yeah, she was, she was key in finding some really important evidence against him. So yeah, she's, Historically, you know, she she might be the, you know, kind of the number one witness who helped establish that Oswald is uh, was guilty, according to the Warren Commission. Of course, <laughs> the House Select Committee that happened in the, the late 70s, their conclusion was that it was probably a conspiracy. But you don't really hear that in the uh, mainstream media very much or the history textbooks. You know, you, you'll just still hear, well, there's controversy, but, you know, the c conclusion of the Warren Commission was that Oswald did it. Well, one thing that I'm a little confused about, or at least is, um, well, there's a lot of things. Um, so the first thing is, of course, why did Jack Ruby kill Oswald? It seemed that seems a little suspicious, in my opinion. Um, do you have any theories about that besides the reason he gave about wanting to... Uh, uh, I don't know, spare uh, Jackie Kennedy of the trial or something weird like that. Yeah, that's that's the story Jack Ruby gave early on. He said he wanted to spare Jackie Kennedy the the pain of going through a trial. But later on, he was saying to the authorities, "Please, if you can get me to Washington out of Dallas, I'll I'll testify. You know, I have important things to say. You know, there's a clip in my film where he says." You know, the people who put me up to this were in very powerful positions and they'll never let the truth come out. Of course, you know, Jack Ruby was friends with many of the police officers in Dallas because he ran these strip clubs where they would come. He had been an FBI informant in the past. He was he was connected to the mob for sure. And he he died of cancer and just a few years later in jail. And he also supposedly kind of lost his mind in jail and uh yeah it is extremely suspicious a lot of people have a hard time swallowing the idea that he just randomly decided to kill oswald two days after the assassination so oswald is no longer around to answer any questions and then ruby was gone a few years later after that that is yeah that is there's like a big to me there's like a big cloud of lots of things that just didn't logically add up unlike the warren commission's conclusions something that does add up is subscriptions go to historically.substack.com and subscribe today 
If we get a dozen new subscribers this week, we'll let you know who ordered the assassination. I'm kidding. It was obviously Dulles. Subscribe anyways. Also, check us out on YouTube and Twitch with Late Nights with Lennon. Get commentary and trolling from 100 years ago by the absolute master of the form and see how little has changed. It is what is to be done. You also, in the movie, mention a little bit about some strange family connections that Ruth Payne had. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, just about what you said just now. I I think it's important for people to understand that almost any main point of the assassination story, you know, the official story, has been picked apart and there's an alternative kind of analysis to it. So there's this whole alternate parallel narrative that that the um, conspiracy researchers have have come up with so they they can counter all these claims <laughs> with with different perspectives so supposedly oswald killed a police officer while he was trying to run away after the assassination you know you can read a whole book about that where they analyze it and say that was not possible you know that he didn't do that he supposedly took a shot at this um, right-wing general a few months before the assassination, and that also is extremely controversial. There's a lot of research around that. So it's like any any point you you hear about Oswald being guilty, there is a like a whole body of literature debunking that from from the conspiracy side. Now about the the Payne family connections, uh, like I said, Michael Payne. His mom was a Forbes, the famous, extremely wealthy Forbes family in Massachusetts. The magazine? Yeah, it's the same as the magazine. It's a, you know, that's one wing of the family, you know, had that, had Forbes magazine. But they, and their wealth goes back into the, the 1800s when they were involved in the opium trade. Mm, in China? Yeah. So... Yeah, that's it's they've been extremely wealthy, influential family for like 200 years and they own a private island near Martha's Vineyard in Massachusetts called Nishan Island. And this is a place where Ruth Payne and her husband Michael Payne went to vacation. So even though they are living in a very modest tiny two-bedroom house in the suburbs of Dallas, working-class suburbs, it's called Irving, Texas, they are actually extremely wealthy people. And, uh, you know, a lot of people, this this raises some flags for them. Weren't the Kennedys also have um, a place near Martha's? I mean, uh, like the Kennedys family also grew up in that area. Yeah, they did. A lot of people from uh, New England maybe have, have summer homes or, or live in that area. Cape, Cape Cod, Martha's Vineyard area. And uh, just to top it all off, as Ruth Payne admits in the film, her mother-in-law, Michael Payne's mother, knew Alan Dulles, the former head of the CIA, who's seen as a possible mastermind, one of the main suspects in the JFK assassination, and who happened to be the most influential member of the Warren Commission. <laughs> so, yeah, these these connections do start to add up and you know reason, reasonable people 
have have some doubts about whether this this could all be coincidence. That is very interesting. So right after the Bay of Pigs failed, I guess, coup attempt invasion, I don't know what to call it. JFK mm-hmm. made a comment about the CIA. What did he say? Well, he he felt like he was betrayed by the CIA. Like they they double crossed him. They weren't honest, and they had tried to get him into a full scale invasion of Cuba to to overthrow Castro. Like a whole war. Yeah, yeah. So they they had these bunch of anti Castro Cubans, you know, people who had c- come to live in the U.S. And they, the CIA trained them for this invasion, but they had no chance and they were, you know, the, the invasion was put down very quickly, but the, the CIA wanted JFK to, to send in, you know, the air force, the full actual army and to make this into a real, you know, military operation when it, it was a covert operation where the U S hand was not supposed to be seen, but the CIA thought they could, you know, sort of trick JFK into um, committing to a, a full-scale war. So after that, he he was extremely suspicious of the CIA and the military. He didn't think that they were telling him the truth. They were two hardline Cold Warriors, war hawks, and um, especially after the Cuban Missile Crisis, you know, he saw they they were you know pushing the world to the brink of nuclear war. Um, but yeah, after, after the Bay of Pigs, he he said that he wanted to smash the CIA into a thousand pieces. And yeah, a lot of people feel like, you know, he was he was a major threat to the the power of the CIA, which was becoming unchecked at that point. Or at any point. <laughs> yeah, they 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 were outside the control of the executive branch. They were they were doing things on their own. So <laughs> you, know, you got to wonder, you know, where, where, where democracy is going if you have the, the Secret Service deciding policy. So how was the Secret Service in, like, what were they doing? I, I get, I always think the Secret Service is there to, I guess, be the bodyguard of the president. Am I wrong? Yeah, yeah. By Secret Service, I just meant, you know, internationally, the Secret Services are, you know, the spy, spy, spy services for for different com- countries. But yeah, the Secret Service in the U.S. protects the, the president and former presidents, and they they have a few other roles. They deal with uh, counterfeiting. I think that's that's their their beat is uh, trying to arrest people who are counterfeiting money. What is the name of the street where he was assassinated? Uh, Elm Street. Okay, so there was a curve or something. Yes. There, there's a very sharp curve. I was just there in Dallas a couple of weeks ago, driving down that road. And it's a strange intersection where there are three roads that go under this underpass. And yeah, there's a very sharp turn. The limousine had to slow down to a unsafe speed. And um, supposedly the, the limo also slowed down or even stopped on Elm Street where he was actually shot uh, but uh yeah lots 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 more controversy there and you've also spoken to this author vincent salandria can you talk a little bit about him sure vincent salandria was one of the earliest critics of the warren commission and 
of the you know official story around the assassination he he says he knew pretty much immediately that it was a conspiracy he, and by the time oswald was killed you know he he had already sort of theorized like if this guy is guilty they're going to they're going to have a trial for him and we're going to show off that we have such a great justice system here in the US but if he's not guilty and there's a conspiracy, he, they're going to kill him. He's going to be killed within a couple of days. And that's exactly what happened. Wait, he predicted this beforehand? Yeah, he predicted it beforehand. Uh, wow. So, when, yeah, when it happened, he, he said, yep, that's, <laughs> that's what I thought was going to happen. So he's, he's, he's always been, he's one of the more outspoken kind of hardline, you know, conspiracy people where he's he he says you know it's obvious there was a conspiracy and all this all this time people are spending debating and looking into the minutia of the details it's wasted time and that's what the plan was in the beginning to create this never-ending mystery this debate that people can get caught up in and uh they will will never come to the conclusion that it's it's obvious there was a conspiracy and it was a coup and what what do you do with that information? So, yeah, Salandria did did some early work on just picking apart the Warren Commission with uh, their own own evidence. There are actually twenty six volumes of the Warren Commission, uh, mm-hmm. you know, long volumes with with all the testimony and all the exhibits and the hearings and everything. Um, so it's a ton of material, but. Uh, yeah, Vince Landria has he has a book called False Mystery. It's a very rare book. You you I think you you couldn't find a copy probably for less than a few hundred dollars now. Maybe in the library you can get it for free. You can find it online for free. Uh, okay. Yeah, a, a digital copy online. And you can find some videos of him including some that I shot are online. But he from the very beginning he he saw the pains as one of the keys to the case. He, he thought that they were, you know, kind of a weak point in the conspiracy and that they needed to be really investigated deeply. So he's a very interesting character. He was in his late eighties when I interviewed him. And then he died a few years later before the film came out when he was 92. And, uh, yeah, I think more people should know about Vince Salandria. He, for some reason, he's he's been kind of overlooked. But he was even he was like a mentor to Jim Garrison, who was the New Orleans district attorney. Who Oliver Stone's JFK is is about Jim Garrison. It's the prosecutor, right? Yeah, he's he's like the only person, only you know, authority in the U.S. who brought a case for there being a conspiracy in in the JFK assassination, and he was attacked viciously by by the establishment after that so yeah Vince Landria, you know was i definitely learned a lot from hearing his analysis oh, okay um so after i'm going to ask you like a question about your opinion and i know it might not be what actually happened or whatever it's just your opinion after interviewing uh, with ruth Payne, did you come out with like like what was your theory about what happened before and did it change after you interviewed with her so i mean i i had read one of the 
most famous books on the assassination is called JFK and the Unspeakable. Oh, I love that book. Yeah, by Jim Douglas. I think Mm -hmm. anybody who's interested in this should read that book. So that's where I learned about the pains. And so I, I saw that there were these suspicions around them, and I knew about the conspiracy theories. But, you know, when I went into making the film, I really tried to keep an open mind and not come in with a foregone conclusion. So I, you know, I talked to Ruth over a few years and, you know, asked her some some very difficult questions. And I looked at a lot of footage of her, uh, looked, you know, read her testimony. And it's kind of, uh, I know it's disappointing, but I've, I decided that for the movie, I wasn't going to be too heavy handed about pushing one perspective. And when I do interviews, I don't actually tell people what my conclusion is about Ruth. I think it's important for people to come to their own conclusion with the actual information. And uh, I don't want to color people's conclusions. And also there are possible legal (laughs) ramifications. So yeah, I, I think people should see my film, should do, do their own research and uh, come to their own conclusions. So where can they see your film? So my website is jfkpain.com. Mm-hmm. jfkpain.com. That's also my handle on Twitter, jfkpain and Facebook. So there's a page on our website called see the film and you can find the film on amazon uh vimeo itunes all all those services if you want a dvd i'm surprised that but there are still people who want dvds you can email me through the website and i'll send you a dvd and it's on it's on the canopy streaming service some people have access to to that but uh yeah plenty of ways to see it and uh I hope it's inspiring some critical thinking and some heated discussions. I I wanted to to make a film about the JFK assassination that was different than, you know, a typical general overview of the evidence in the case. So I thought, you know, by personalizing the story through Ruth Payne and it's sort of a true crime mystery of like is she lying, is she not? Is she some sort of CIA agent, or is she just a total innocent bystander? I thought maybe we, the, the film could reach a, a wider audience and sort of inspire people to look into this history. I think it, it's too bad that a lot of younger people are not interested in the assassination anymore, although that might be changing. I see more and more younger people who are interested in this stuff. And, um, the polls of like how many Americans believe there was a conspiracy, they've been as high as 80% over the last 50 years or so. And, uh, but they're going down recently. Now it's, it's below 60%, I think. So maybe that has to do with people knowing less about this. What is next for you as a filmmaker? Do you have any upcoming projects, any ideas on what you're going to do next? I have many, many ideas, but I, I haven't, started on anything yet and um i wish i could find somebody who uh could help find funding (laughs) to make the next one because filmmaking is expensive time consuming 
process, especially this this kind of thing that I did where you uh flying across around the country to interview people, collecting archival footage and putting together a historical kind of narrative. Yeah, it's 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 hard work. But um yeah, I'm not sure if the next film I make will be in this vein, kind of political, or it might be a little more lighthearted or more socially based or just uh, on a particular character or something. So nothing's in the pipeline yet. You're still looking for ideas or you're still narrowing it down? Yeah, I'm narrowing it down. I mean, I have a list of ideas, like I have like 50 ideas. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Okay. Um. Well, is there anything else you want to talk about with regards to either this film or your future projects that I haven't asked you about? Um, one more thing. I I do have a Patreon account. It's it's patreon.com slash maxgood M-A-X-G-O-O-D. And mm-hmm. on there you can access the film. And there are also a bunch of kind of special features like deleted scenes and full interviews and stuff like that. Um so anybody's really interested in this topic in the movie i i would suggest going on there okay um have you ever listened to michael parenti's lecture about the gangster nature of the state yes i i've listened i think i've heard that one uh yeah that's what got me really interested <laughs> yeah it's a great lecture michael parenti is is a great speaker uh <laughs> and you know he's he's fun to listen to and he He's kind of like Vince Landry. He he boils this the, down to to like the heart of the matter and doesn't really you know let you weasel out of the conclusions. Um, yeah. So what's what's the focus of your show? I'm I'm just curious. Oh, it's history. So um, I'll send you this. Um, we we just do we we're decolonial history, as in we do history that's like not that has to do with like the oppressed people of the world, I guess. And we actually interviewed um, another man, uh, Mal Hyman, um, who wrote about, uh, I'll send you the link, who wrote about, um, bear, his book is called Bearing the Lead. It's, um, uh, hold on, I'll send it to you via Zoom chat. Can you, uh, uh, um, yeah, he wrote a book called Bearing the Lead about how the U.S. newspapers covered the JFK assassination and how they literally buried the most important part, like in page 12 and it, it was very enlightening in terms of the media for me um, with regard to that, because it, it was very just, you think that like, it, it just like people want you to think that the media tries to sensationalize everything, but that's not always the case. Sometimes they underplay things. And so that's how I got interested in the JFK assassination. <laughs> yeah. The, the media role in all this is a whole other story and people have done know written books about it and there are even films about it but yeah once once you start looking into this you realize that there is a ton of alternative analysis alternative perspectives that you will barely hear in the mainstream media and you might you know (laughs) start to to wonder about the the freedom of the press in the u.s and the, the state of of the democracy here, the supposed democracy, if uh, this information is so suppressed. And yeah, it's it's odd that 
you know, even the government's last investigation, the House Select Committee said there was probably a conspiracy. And yet, if you look at the media or most most of the authorities, they treat it as ridiculous conspiracy theory, wacko, nutcase stuff that uh, isn't isn't even worth considering. Um, and I think that's that's how they they keep a lot of people from even getting interested in this because you don't you don't want to be affiliated with with something that's fringe and off the wall and that's disreputable. So, um, yeah, I, I think people need to, uh, think for themselves and, and do some of their own research, look, look for some alternative sources of information, even if, uh, you know, we now have the, the corporate media and the, the tech world cracking down on alternative perspectives. Um, that is, that is an ominous sign. There are so many instances in Europe's history where people think you're a conspiracy nut, but then 25 late years later, when the CIA declassifies a document, people are like, oh, the conspiracy nuts have been right all along. <laughs> yeah. And then, of course, they, they're painting people as Russian assets, which is like the oldest ploy in the book. You know, just, that's what they called Martin Luther King, a communist agent. I mean, they even, you know, the the extreme right wing thought Kennedy was a communist. They thought <laughs> Obama was a communist. I mean, uh, yeah. So if you're saying that anything critical of the United States government <laughs> or United States foreign policy is is just foreign propaganda, um, I think you're in big trouble. Well, for me, this is what I have to say. Um in order, like, you, you, like here in Russia, like, you'd be surprised at how little they need to lie to make the U.S. look bad. Because the truth suffices. The truth is enough. You don't need to make up lies. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. And there's this attitude of, like, you love it or leave it in America. Or, you know, our system's the best. We have the most freedom here. What do you, you know, are you supporting China or Russia? Those are totalitarian systems and it it doesn't have to be black or white like that i mean obviously if you're you're pointing out injustice and uh lies in in america you're trying to make it the place better um i i would point people towards fidel castro's speech that he gave on the radio just a couple days after the jfk assassination you can find it online what did he say well he gave this extremely detailed long address and it's just eye-opening you know for americans to see the head of a country treat the citizens with respect like where they they <laughs> you know he's being honest with them and like analyzing the situation he he thought you know immediately like the whole oswald thing uh, that oswald was a communist didn't add up that this was it looked like a setup by the right wing and even though Kennedy had been, you know, involved in in trying to overthrow Castro and, you know, going against him, Castro saw it as a very bad development for for his country. Um, and JFK actually had these back channel diplomacy operations going with with Castro and Khrushchev. You know, at the time he was killed, he was trying to end end the Cold War and decommission the nuclear arsenals. So instead, 
we got something different. I would say that in a perfect world, we would have we would all decommission our nukes um, because like you just need a few to like get a really horrible disaster in this world. Yeah, uh, I think the the governments of the world have no legitimacy and and unless they start doing things like that, you know, they should be decommissioning all the nuclear weapons. Well, uh, yeah, at least working towards it and hopefully one day. <laughs> yeah. Well, thank you so much for coming and please do come again when you do your next film. All right, great. I would love to. Thanks. Thanks for having me. Oh, no, I love the film. Um, I watched it over the weekend. Um, I actually watched it once, uh, twice because once to just kind of see what, what it was and a second time I took notes so I could ask you intelligent questions. <laughs> so it was a very good film. Great. Thank you. I, I really hope that it, it gets out there. My, my film has also been blacked out in the media. It, it, there's no, no mainstream media has reviewed my film. Um, so every, every chance we get to spread the word is great. And so thank you. Thank you for having me on. Okay. Well, have a good rest of the morning and um, yeah. And I, I will share all the links you put with the show description. Okay, great. Thanks a lot. Bye bye. Music for this show is done by Rectex. You can find him on SoundCloud and on Spotify. W-R-E-C-K-T-E-C-H. And thank you for listening to our show.